Hello and welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. My name is Chris. I'm a husband, a father, and an entrepreneur. My name's Melissa, and I am a wife, mother, former nurse turned real estate investor. And we believe the greatest gift you can give your child is a last name that stands for something. Your last name is your family's brand. If you are a parent who wants to raise your child to know who they are, love who they are, and believe in who they are, this show is for you. We promise to bring you real and authentic conversations with parents and experts who are committed to making their family their life's most important work. This show will help you take a stand for your family and to raise your children by design, not default. Welcome to this week of the Family Brand Podcast. Very special guest. I say that every time we have a guest, <laughs> but this guest is a very extremely special guest. Today in our studio, actually in studio, we have... Which, has that ever happened? Uh, One time in Hawaii, we had the Pierces yeah, in our studio with us. Very rarely. Uh, we have Chris's sister, Kristen. Welcome, Kristen, to the Thank podcast. <laughs> okay, so Kristen, we have this kind of funny joke. She recently moved back to where we live um, after being gone for five years. And so I was asking her recently, what do you tell people when they ask you where you've been? And she says, well, I've been like backpacking uh, as a joke. I've just been backpacking across Europe or I've been studying abroad. Studying abroad. (laughs) Working for the state. Yes. Actually, I have been working for the state. (laughs) So where she's actually been is Chris's sister, Kristen, was recently in October released from prison. And she was there for five years I thought it would be cool. We thought it would be cool, Chris and I, to have her on the podcast and just talk about her experience and talk about addiction and talk about family and just just all of it. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll even get into more more things here today, but we're really excited to have this conversation and so excited for Kristen. She's doing so good, um, and you'll hear more from her, all the things that she's doing to support people in recovery and and yeah. Yeah, I also think it's like a cool story of hope, like what my sister Kristen is has done and what she's doing and her mindset you know I, I would tell people a lot of times when she was in prison i say the most one of the most free people i know is actually my sister who's serving a five-year prison sentence yeah she's locked up like physically but like her mindset and how she's approaching this and her attitude towards it and what she's looking forward to so kristen i'm gonna put you on the spot but like what i know there's so many lessons but what's one of the big ones that like when you look back on your experience of addiction and what got you to prison and like where you're at now what what's like a huge lesson i think a huge lesson is you cannot hold on to your guilt and shame so i don't have a lot of childhood trauma i don't really have any childhood trauma all my trauma is self-inflicted like things i would do as an adult and then i would do them and then i would be so guilty i would just drink more my addiction started with pain pills from the doctor and I got the right idea after five years that I didn't want to take them anymore. So I just started taking shots of vodka to make the withdrawals less. So so pretty soon I was a full-blown alcoholic. So I left my whole family and my husband in January of 2015. By January of 2000, February of 2017, I was heading to prison over alcohol. In In that short of time? Two years. I burned my whole life down. And had been doing well, amazing for a really long time. Well, I I think that, though, there was always some mental health issues. I think if I would have addressed my mental health a long time ago, but when I was growing up, there wasn't diagnoses like ADHD or bipolar or 
my dad told me the other day I was super intelligent, so he just thought I talked really fast. Like, he, he didn't know that I was, like, a little bit wacko. <laughs> and I've just always been super sped up and super fast. And since I've gotten out, when I was in prison, there's not a lot of help for that. So we just learned some, like, breathing exercises, some coping mechanisms. Um, I got a sponsor who would just walk me through things. Because in prison, I just had so much anxiety and so many things, especially really shaky. I had a lot of um, residual effects from the drinking, like shaking and just weird things. So you just have to learn to, without medicine in prison, just learn how to calm yourself, do yoga, you know, just take yourself. You have to be really mentally and strong to be in prison, period. Yeah. And so I talk about this a lot, uh, this idea of like, we can't let our past define who we are, but it can shape who we are. Mm -hmm. I talked to Kristen about that a lot when she first went into prison because I knew that, man, like if she can come out of prison and leave her guilt and shame behind, that'll be a huge step forward. So yeah, what are some of the things you did? Like, cause I, I know that all of us to some degree hold on to some guilt and shame from our past. So yeah, how did you start letting go of some of the guilt and shame? Um, well, I, I, got, I got into recovery and got into the 12 steps. And, and whether you do the 12 steps or not, if you can really confront your guilt and shame and you can um, divulge it to another person just to put it out there, whether it be a priest, a bishop, um, but I got a sponsor. And then I did. I sat down and wrote some amends letters, went to some real deep amends. I mean, some of the people, like my brother that I wanted to make amends to, my nephew, they're not alive anymore. So I still wrote them letters and just kind of released it. And, um, you know, I just had to confront it. Same thing as you talk about. That's what the 12 steps is about, confronting um, and letting go. But you can't, you can't live in the past. Now, I've told my story so much that um, I can tell it now without being really emotional. But my story now is more about my recovery. But one of the things that really changed me is when I think I called you and I was like, hey, I was already in prison for five years. Um, I just got diagnosed with cancer. And on the same day, they called me to my CO3's office and said, there's a, somebody from Safford that needs to talk to you. And it was a pre-sentencing guide. He's like, hey, I said, my, my lawyer told me I could get probation. And he said, oh, no, you're getting prison. And I said, well, she told me three, three more years. And he goes, no, we're going to say seven. And I think I called you and you were like, we're going to get some letters. We're just going to be positive. And I was just like, don't freak out. Just don't. And I really just started walking the track and everybody was like, are you freaking out? And I said, no, I know it's going to be okay. So it really changed for me when I wrote a letter and had all my family in there. When the judge got up and said, I believe you, like, I believe you and I'm going to give you a chance. But when you get out, I need you to do what you said you're going to do or you're going to get 12 more years. And now I sit on a substance abuse coalition with that same judge once a month. That's amazing. So just for some context, yeah, let's tell the story. I feel like we're missing. Yeah, so okay. so yeah, the story. Yeah, so Kristen went out with a bang. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, when she decided to go, what we joke that like when she decided to like go down in flames, she's like, I'm gonna go down in a blaze of glory. So you committed three felonies in one county. Yes. You were looking at either it could be 15 years if you took it to trial, five years if you pled guilty, right? Right. And took a plea deal. Mm -hmm. And then while on bond for that, committed some other felonies in More another felonies, county. Yes. So so you'd already been sentenced to the five years. Yes. Serving your time for that. Knowing that these other charges are going to come up in some way, but you were really thinking in your mind, I'll get probation for those. 
my lawyer thought, you know, so I had, so I got, I picked up a DUI. It, it's really bad when you pick up felonies where you're on felony release. I picked up a DUI and an yeah, aggravated highly assault. Yeah, highly not recommended. No. And an aggravated <laughs> assault. So I knew I had these charges. And right before I went to prison, I signed a, a plea. I already signed up for five years, but I signed a plea that my lawyer said, I'm sure we're going to get you probation. Well, I get to prison. Same day I get since, uh, diagnosed with cancer. The guy tells me, oh, no, I'm recommending seven years. So On top of the 12. Yes. On top of the five. So, so you're, in your mind, you're like, wait, I could have a total of 12? Right. And this is like right when you're in prison. Yeah. And I'm just stuck in there until I can go to court. And um, first I had to have this surgery. And one day they just came and knocked on my bed. And they're like, roll up. We're taking you to court. And they took me and I sat down and wrote this really good letter. And that's really when I changed. And I've said the whole time I was in prison, that judge gave me a break. And I... I should have got 12 years in prison. A prosecutor never gets up and says, we want her to have 12 years and the county attorney. And the judge even said, I'm not going to be very popular, but I believe you. You have a lot of support. So that was my, my thing my whole time in prison. Like I'm going to, I knew I was blessed. I knew, if, I knew when I stood up, I could feel all my family's tension behind me, but I knew I was going to walk out of there with probation. Well, yeah. Yeah. And it was a miracle. Like total miracle. Yeah. When the judge came out and was like, I feel called to grant you a level of mercy. And yeah. we were like, wow. Like, and um, what were we going to say, Melissa? Yeah, I was just going to say, maybe you could share your perspective of that day. Cause I know that was, that was a big day. The day that Kristen was facing 12 years in prison and walked out with only five, five years. Which is, yeah. Yeah. It's still um, a lot, but I don't know. Would you have anything you'd add there? Cause I know you were there and, yeah, I think from from my perspective, I, I was thinking, one, I don't want. I was actually really grateful, and I told Kristen this. I'll say, I'm so glad you're in prison for five years, right? Because we know where you're at. <laughs> we don't have to worry about you, and I don't want you to be there longer than that. I feel like your life has a greater meaning and purpose. I feel like you could do more good outside of prison after your five years are served than spending seven more years there, right. a total of twelve. So that was in my mind. The second thing was, our family could use a win, like. Right. We'd lost, you know, both of my brothers at that point. One of them more recently. We'd lost my oldest nephew. And so I'm thinking like, man, who? how can I be a leader for my family? How can I show up for my family? And I'm not really thinking anything in particular other than I want to be there at the courtroom that day. Mm -hmm. I don't want to support Kristen and my sister and I want to support my family. And, and it was interesting because I just had this sense that when Kristen first went into prison, I was like, man, I know that she... If I can help her somehow in some way, she ultimately has to do it. But if I can help her really get peace from her past and mm -hmm. confront it, right? That One of my favorite quotes is by John Spence, you, you cannot change what you refuse to confront. Mm -hmm. And I think like Kristen said, for so many people, the past is so hard that it's like, I can't confront it. And the reality is if you can't confront it, then you'll never overcome it. You'll never be free from it. And so I started sending her books subliminally like, hey, read right. this book. Why don't you read this book? And so that's all going on. So we get to the courtroom. You can just feel the tension in there. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the courtroom. And our family comes in, sits down. You can hear a pin drop in there. It's really quiet. Other families. And all of a sudden, this door on the left opens. And in, in come walks um, the first woman in an orange prison jumpsuit. Shackled. Shackled, yeah, to each other. And she's kind of shorter, 
dark hair. Second woman comes in, a little bit taller. And then third uh, person comes in, my sister Kristen. And we weren't approved to do phone calls that yet. Mm-mm. Or even emails. So I think we were like handwritten letters. We were. And, and they tell the prisoners when they come to the courtroom, don't make eye contact with the, the people in the audience. And they tell us like not to make eye contact with them because you don't want to be, you know, you're not allowed to send any kind of messages. So I just see her. And right when I see her, I was like, is something re- like inside of me said, take a stand for your sister. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, well, what would I do? And then I was like, well, I know how to speak. I know how to talk. And I believe I can influence. So I motioned to her when it was her turn. I motioned to her attorney and said, hey, well, they, can I say something? And she was kind of like, I don't know. Like she kind of acted anno- a little bit annoyed, like I was interrupting. Mm-hmm. And then she goes up and they were like, Graham, the, Graham County against Kristen Bland, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, they're not going to let me. And all of a sudden, I don't know where the judge is like, hey, I understand Kristen has a brother in the courtroom today. And I was like, is he here? And I raised my hand. He goes, come take the stand. And I was like, wow, okay, this is happening. Mm-hmm. And on my way up there, I was like, okay, Chris, you better crush it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you better. I'm like um, seven years of Kristen's life on the line. Yeah. And I just, I, and I can't really even remember a lot of what I said. I just remember it. Like, I'm going to take a stand for Kristen. And, and I did tell him, I said, hey, look, I believe that my sister deserves to be in prison for okay. five years. And I think her life has a greater meaning and purpose mm-hmm. beyond that. And I'm committed to helping her with that. And I feel like her sharing our family's str- struggle of addiction and mental health can serve way more families. And I did share my, one of my favorite quotes by Viktor Frankl, which is, I said, what is to give light must endure burning. And I said, I believe my sister has a lot of light to give. And you said she's done some burning. Yeah, and she's done some burning and, and will. Mm-hmm. And then I sat down. And, you know, I said what I said. And then Kristen shared, like, probably the most, one of the most powerful things I've ever heard and really took a stand for herself and told the judge what she was committed to. And I actually think, I truly believe the judge had already decided in his mind that he was going to give her seven years because the evidence was all, all the reasons to give her seven years. And the county attorney, the prosecutor, they all were saying seven years. And I really think that because of what Kristen said and maybe a little bit what I said, he was like, I got to think about this. And he called like a short recess. Mm-hmm. And then he comes out of the recess and he was like, well, I've made my decision and there's going to be some of you in the courtroom that don't agree with my decision. Mm-hmm. And we're all like, well, that could Perfect. mean one of two, you know, the either way. Here. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, at like he literally, and then the very next words, were, I feel called to grant you a level of mercy. And you could just feel this like weight, like, and it, you know, he, and he said like, and I hope I believe you. And I hope that you really take this gift. And I hope you do make a difference and serve others. And to Kristen's point, or to Kristen's credit, that's exactly what she's done. And, and not just outside of prison. She ran programs in prison. She created curriculum in prison. She walked women through the same process of overcoming their past that she'd been through. So there's just so many cool parts of this story of like self-forgiveness, forgiveness from others, grace, realizing it's never too late, right? Like you can be the author of your story at any time. Family. Family, like the, the power of family. And also just it's like, it's amazing to me how big of an issue mental health and, mm-hmm. and suicide and addiction is, even like amongst youth and how little it's talked about. Right. And so, yeah. So Kristen, what do you feel like, yeah, what do you feel called to do now? Like you, you've, you've obviously been given this amazing blessing. You've done a lot of work. What do you feel called to as far as your purpose? Um, I mean, I'm an advocate now, and I want to give other people light like that's been given to me and give them hope. But I feel like I know that my situation can be a testament, a testimony to other people because 
I literally was the worst alcoholic and then I would be drinking and I would do drugs, but I had DUIs. I mean, I think over my lifetime, I've probably had like 17 felonies. I mean, that's that, not been convicted of, but been arrested. Just, I was the worst like wounded soul. I literally used to wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I woke up again. You know, I can't believe, like I drank so much last night and I, I never thought I was going to prison because I was either going to drink myself to death or just keep running or I, I don't really know. But um, I got to prison and I had one thing that really made a huge difference, too, is when before court, the lawyer came and gave me all the, the letters that people in town, my family, my nieces, my cousins had written for me about how the things I had accomplished before I was a drug addict or, or an alcoholic and the kind things people said about me, but they were real, but they remembered them and I didn't. Just having those people breathe hope into me, like businesses I started, like I coached somebody in Little League basketball. A, a kid from junior high uh, said she was she was nice to me, she was kind to me, just people, things I'd done in the past that I didn't really remember. Mm. Just having some people breathe possibility into me. And so I really wanted to do that in prison. And when I got ready to leave, I had this class and I was right in the middle of one. And, and it was going really well. It always went really well. And all the girls were like crying and I'm crying. They're like, you can't leave. And I told them I'm gonna start this newsletter. And they're like, great. And nobody ever does what they say in prison. And so I said, by Meaning next month. People make promises who are getting out of prison, like I'll help you and I'll, yeah, stay, all in, the time. I'll stay connected, but no one really ever no, does. No, you never do, never. So you said, I'm gonna start a newsletter and keep pouring into you even outside of prison. Yeah, and so we're not allowed to have each other's information in prison. So I acted like I was signing them up for a new class just so I didn't get into trouble for having their numbers and their names. So I, I went to sign up for a new class and I took all of them. And the first month, there's a lady that comes in and does AA with us that used to be in prison and she's now cleared to go in. And she texted me right after my first newsletter went out and she said, I just want you to know all the girls in the AA meeting this morning were in tears and they came bringing your letter and they were like, nobody ever does this for us. And we're so proud of her and we can do it. And so... And then I sent it to a couple, uh, a couple of guys that, that um, mentored me through a program that were in the mail prison, and it's just taken off. It's going into Arizona, California, Texas now, and people need that support. It's going into a lot of rehabs, into the community. Tell us, tell us the name of your newsletter. The Light, and, and that was just a big thing about that quote. I asked Christopher on the phone one time. That quote, for some reason, stuck with me, and then Chris sent me the book by Viktor Frankl, and I gave that to so many people. And because I really wanted to give my light to other people. And that, that's what I would say. I found my purpose through my burning, like, is to give light through, to other people. So that's where that came from. I take for granted, imagine you step outside of life for five years and then you drop back in all the things that have changed and are new. So I've been helping Kristen format her newsletter <laughs> because she's like, I don't know how to use this computer. Um, and you're getting it. I'm sure you'll next month you'll be able to do it on your own. But I've been able to read the newsletter and see like all the cool things she's putting in there. Stories of people who are in recovery and are doing amazing after prison. And stories of, again, your own, your own stories in there and resources for people. What else would you add? Every month, I, I include a story of somebody who is an addict and has been incarcerated. Um, every month, I put in a little letter from me because that makes people relate to me. It's relatable. And just other success stories of people that haven't been incarcerated. And I've just made some cool contacts that I've been able to put in there. And the more I do this, the more contacts I make. And everybody's got somebody in their family that's an addict. 
And so I have people reaching out to me now, like, even just mothers, can you talk to me? And I can talk to them on both sides because I am a mother. I do have a child that's had substance abuse issues. I just have a lot of, I mean, in two weeks, I'm going to get my uh, cert certification for a recovery support specialist in Arizona. And then I actually have something to put behind. I have all the the life lessons, but people people sometimes want you to have a little bit of a degree or something. I'm going to have the certification to back all that up. That's awesome. Okay. One of the things we were talking about before we started recording, and Kristen and I talk about this a lot, you know, with Family Brand, right, our mission is to really, like, build and strengthen families, like, mm -hmm. to help families feel more connected and feel stronger. And the, there's totally an attack on families today. And mm -hmm. children's mental health is at an all-time low, and families are more disconnected than ever. And so Kristen has shared with me before, there's an absolutely a connection between the breakdown of, like, families and homes and the, how many of those women end up in prison. So from your experience, what percentage, Kristen, of the women in prison came from broken homes, broken families, broken marriages? Um, well, I would say I would say 80% come from not your normal family, like mom and dad are divorced, or um, maybe 20% have some family family support and or some something to lean back on. The day I got out of prison, there was six of us, I think, and we walked out and one girl's ride was there and wasn't there. Remember? Yeah. And she was looking mm -hmm. around. I had 15 people in the parking lot. The other girls were getting a ride to the bus. The other girls were having some guy they didn't know pick him up. Um, it's a huge thing to have family support, but a lot of these girls were in prison with their mom. There were sisters in there. Um, when I was in rehab, I had a couple girls that were getting their kids adopted out from under them. And I, I would say, why doesn't your mom take them? And they said, why do you think I'm a drug addict? I, I did drugs with my mom. And, you know, it's a generational thing. And some of these ladies have no self-worth. And, and I think a ton of drug addiction starts with mental health. Like, so you use drugs to feel better or fit in. And then I think in my case, I was always real sped up. But I just got addicted to pain pills, and, and I just couldn't handle the withdrawal. And so I did it like that because, like I said, I didn't have a lot of childhood trauma. Now I had a lot of death. My, my husband died due to drugs in 1997. Then my brother died the same year. And then instead of using those things as a, as a lesson to stop, I would just use them as an excuse to just go in. But then I got sober for 14 years. I got completely sober except for the pain pills and— um, since that was for my doctor, I didn't really think anything about it, you know? But but I think there's, the more I'm doing this, I've only been out three months, is I feel like we have to focus a lot on prevention, not just on recovery, because fentanyl is so bad, and it starts with these young young kids not knowing. It's so dangerous. Parents really need to learn about it. I'm so lucky. When I would run out of pain pills, I would get them from friends. I would get them from whoever. I didn't really buy them off the street, but I'm so lucky that was then and this is now because... Fentanyl's in everything now. And I could have ended up being a fentanyl addict, you know? Yeah, and, and weren't you saying that you would just ask women all the time, like, well, what 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 led you to prison? What led you? And every time, drugs or alcohol was almost every time, every wasn't time. it? Every time, every time. And even a couple of girls that were like, oh, I was arrested part of this huge shoplifting ring. And I'm like, but why? To pay for my drugs. Mm. Or alcohol or, or there's some women that were just addicted to money or but almost... All of it stems back to drug addiction yeah. or alcohol addiction. Well, you said earlier about, I, I kind of stay here for a minute, talking about families. I think 
you know, I shared your story recently um, on my Instagram, and I had many people reaching out and saying, like, yeah, my brother-in-law or my sister-in-law. My uncle, my nephew, my, uncle, my mm-hmm. brother. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah, this this is happening, you know, in amongst families. What would you say, like, what would your be, be your advice to someone who has a, a relative um, in addiction? Like, that is, I don't know if I'm saying that the right way, yeah. but what would be your advice to family? Um, I, I know one really important thing is I would have never gone to rehab if my family would have enabled me. My family never enabled me. I mean, I knew I had my mom and dad, my brother and sister when I was ready to go to rehab. But until I absolutely, my husband did enable me a little bit because even though I'd left him, I'd call him, I'd be in trouble somewhere and he would come and get me and take me to his house and I would sober up and I would take off again. Until the last time I got out of jail and um, went on my last tear where I had my husband drop me off at the bar on Thursday, went to, uh, ended up in alcohol poisoning in, in Tucson, got dropped off, drank some more. When I came rolling up back up to his house, he met me at the door and he said, you are not coming in here. And he said all my stuff in the front door. And I literally had nowhere else to go, but I knew I had some family support. There's a fine line between enabling somebody and helping them. And um, they said, if you're ready, we can take you to rehab. But also, they have to know there's somebody there for them. I mean, it's it's huge to support them. I know it's embarrassing, and but if you don't want to lose that family member, we've had so much loss in our family that I think that's what made the difference. I always knew when I was ready I could go back, but until I had absolutely nowhere else to go, then, I mean, I was homeless. I was homeless for a long time, not in the street, but I'd just go couch to couch. And for somebody who was raised in a family like mine, and when I got to prison and I'd be speaking to these girls, they'd be like, yeah, what are you here for, library fines? Because I don't come across this <laughs> as, um, and I'd be like, no, dog at large. And when I would lay it out to them, what really happened, they could totally relate to me. Plus, I'm a little bit older, and I was like a mom, and I really felt seriously about these young girls, well, even girls my age, that they needed me because a lot of people in prison don't have anybody. I've really, over this last weekend, something really hit me, though. I focused so hard on recovery that we've got to get with our kids because it's so hard to reach some of these people, especially with fentanyl now. And you want to continue to help them, but we got to start when they're young. Um, we're going into schools now and teaching them about vaping and fentanyl. And there's hard conversations and it's scary, but pa- parents need to um, educate themselves about fentanyl because I know parents whose kids have thought they were buying a Xanax from somebody and it's fentanyl. I know kids that have tried to do cocaine and there's fentanyl in it and them and the person that's um, tried to give them mouth to mouth have died. I'm friends with a lady who her husband died, her son died, her son-in-law died, her daughter-in-law died, and the girl's sister of all died in just a span of years over fentanyl. And they're from Graham County. That's a small town. Yeah, it's crazy. One of the, one of the quotes I used to think about a lot, well, I just, I love this quote, those who were the hardest to love need it the most. Right. And the reason they need it the most is also because they're the hardest to love. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and someone who's an addict is really hard to love. Absolutely. Because they lie, oftentimes steal, cheat, yeah. like, and it's and it's not them. So there is this fine line, but I think the the tendency oftentimes is to just disregard them, cast them off, cast them away. And I yeah. think there's a fine line of, hey, I'm not going to enable you. And I still reinforce the message that, hey, I love you. I'm here for you when you're ready. You know, and I and I I told Kristen I can't remember when I told her, but like you know, I lied to her to get her to go to rehab. Totally. Um, 
And I was willing to do it though, because I knew it would serve her. And you know, she's probably, you know, grateful that I lied to her, but I lied to her and I, I said, cause she didn't want to go to rehab. And I said, Hey, I talked to someone and if you go to rehab, the judge will look really favorable on your sentencing and you'll get a reduced sentence. Mm -hmm. And she was, I think that was maybe part of the motivation to go. And what's ended up being funny or ironic, I don't think I actually ended up lying. I lied at the time, but I actually think that because you had done that proactively, when I you didn't get the seven years, you didn't get. This, I think that looked favorably on, but it's just like it's this it's this balance, and I don't know that anyone ever gets it right. But if you have someone struggling with addiction in your family, I think it's this. Uh, it's an it's an it doesn't have to be an either or. Meaning, either they want help and I love them, or they don't and I don't love them. I think it can be an and where it's I love them and I'm fully prepared to show up and support them, even though they're hard to love, and I'm not going to enable them. So I'm I'm going to let them know I love them. And, and what's interesting is. It's hard though because a lot of times they feel like you don't love them. They feel mm -hmm. like you don't support them if you're not enabling them. And so it's such, it's such a hard, hard situation. But I feel like the best we can do is like, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. I support you. I will show up for you when you're ready. And I'm not going to not going to en enable it. Well, and since I've started my newsletter and it's gone to some places, but since I started my Facebook page for the light, I've had several people that are like sisters, brothers that they need some feedback. Like it's recovery isn't all about the addict. Like families are suffering. And a lady told me the other day, she said, I feel so bad that I put my daughter and her boyfriend out. She said, but I've got five of my grandkids. My one daughter's been missing for 10 years, just off on drugs. She said, I feel so bad for my grandkids. And I straight up told her, I said, the best thing you can do is not let them come home. It's too dangerous having fentanyl around your kids. I said, but I'm telling you, sometimes we have to be forced to go sit down in jail if you can't go to rehab and sober up so you can think for long enough. Prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. Good thing I went to rehab first, but you know, you lose everything in prison. Everybody always says, everybody finds God in prison. And that's because that's literally, you have no material things. No, that's one place where you really are all the same. You get three pair of pants and three shirts that are used when you get in there and everybody gets them. Like you, we're all on access in there. You are barely not, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So everybody's the same in there. But But I've been really please, since I came out, all the girls, they were all in recovery though, are just doing so good and so successful. And a lot of us are in uh, recovery positions or peer support. I work for a substance abuse coalition. My friend Rhonda is a case manager at CBI. She helps homeless people. And that's what it takes is to get out and be of service and help people because people helped me. Yeah, that's awesome. One of the things Melissa and I talk about a lot too is it's kind of sad in the world, in the world of families unlike in a business, like if you own a business and you want to proactively grow that business or be intentional, tons of resources. Like you can go find marketing companies, um, branding agencies, like culture, you know, consultants, operations and systems help, right? Like to proactively grow your business. And sadly for the longest time, only thing that families have had is like reactive. Like mm -hmm. once there's a problem, then we can spend money on rehab or therapy or counseling. And look, those are really amazing. Like they, they help people. And like, I think what you're saying, Kristen, the answer really isn't though. And once there's a problem in recovery mm -hmm. and the, there's a lot of usefulness, mm -hmm. it's like families realizing if we don't proactively do something, right? It, like the world's going to have a way stronger influence on your children and your family than you want it to. I promise you.
when kids are getting their drugs off social media. But one thing, and I, I have told a lot of people recently, is that I was in your living room and, and your kids were like taken off in different directions and like, it's your turn, it's your turn. And I asked him, I said, what are you guys doing? And I think it was uh, Tanner that told me, we're checking in, we have a weekly check-in. And I think I, I've said that to people, like, you gotta have check-in on your kids. You gotta talk to them, you gotta... Because that, that just wasn't how it was when I was growing up. People just didn't. But I think the culture is different now that you have to have a different relationship with your kids because there are just so many different things now than there was when, when I was growing up. Like so many mental health issues that maybe if you check in with your kids once a week, they'll be more likely to talk to you and tell you if they know that. that you know, there'd be some times when I'd be feeling weird or feeling, because I've always been a little bit like real hyperactive and real where I wanted somebody to talk to kind of when I was growing up, but there was no way, you know, you just didn't talk about stuff like that because nobody knew what it was anyways. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like you have to create and it, it takes work and mm -hmm. we don't always get it right, Melissa and I, but it really takes work and real intention to create a culture in your home and your family where your kids are not only are willing to talk to you, sometimes even want to. Mm -hmm. And I look, I, I Melissa and I, we're the founders of Family Brand and we don't, feel like we're totally prepared. We don't feel like we have it all figured out. Like we have, I, I think most parents have no clue what kids are up against today. And we're all trying to figure it out. Right. But it's like, you cannot parent kids today the way you were parented. And that doesn't mean you can't take good principles from it, but it's just a different world and unprecedented times. And so it's more important than ever that we're having proactive conversations about things that have for a long time been taboo, like right. drugs, sex, addiction, mm -hmm. It's like, no, you want you want to be the one having that conversation with your kids because if you're not, someone else is. And those are hard conversations. Like there's a lot of people that do not want to talk about drugs to their kids and do not, especially as young kids, but it's just so important now. It's just, you really have to do it. Or like he said, someone else is going to. And with exposure to social media and those kind of things, um, you have to be able to tell them. A lot of kids that, that we go in and teach them, um, they don't really know anything about drugs. And and I think fam, uh, parents are embarrassed by it, but, but parents need to be educated too now, you know, to educate so what they can tell their kids. Yeah, you said that earlier. You said parents need to know specifically about fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Where would you recommend one either parents go learn about fentanyl or whatever other drugs information? And two, what would you say parents should know about fentanyl? Well, um, when I went to prison, fentanyl wasn't this huge thing. And, and I really didn't know a lot about it, but we would, I, I was on a crew that we left the prison every day and came, came back and there was just people lined up in the streets and they were smoking fentanyl. And um, just, just horrible, uh, we, we, took, we took some food down to them one day and not, they were homeless. None of them wanted the food, they all wanted the foil so they could smoke fentanyl off of. And this is really good food we had at a Christmas party. And so, I didn't learn about it really until I got out, but s somebody in dies from a fentanyl overdose every 11 minutes in the United States. So I've just learned though that so many people, people do meth and has fentanyl in it and they die. There was four soldiers that were somewhere back East and they were doing cocaine and two of them overdosed. The guys gave them mouth to mouth. They overdosed. So I just- From the mouth to mouth? Yeah. So I think that parents need to um, educate themselves 
it's really unfortunate now when I have somebody reach out to me that is like, my, my son's a fentanyl addict. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, number one, you need to get some Narcan in your house. Or if you're going to let him stay there or you're going to walk in someday and they're going to be. And that's a hard thing to tell a parent. If you know you're doing it, you got to do some prevention. So that's one thing the Substance Abuse Coalition does, though, is we provide Narcan to people that are addicts. And, and some people think that that's telling them it's okay to do drugs. They're going to do it anyways. Yeah. It's like, well... If, if it was an issue, whether they're doing it or not, that's one thing. If right. they're doing it, right, this is something that could potentially save their life. Yeah, and sorry, um, for those who are watching the video, I left and Melissa left because Trip, our, uh, our youngest son's home and not feeling well. That, that's like a perfect thing for the Family Ram podcast. Right. Is <laughs> because we have a family here. Um, talk about the a little bit of the curriculum that you would walk women through in the prison to like really, like they'd write, they'd burn their letter. Like I just think it's cool because this, this is something you – you as an adult, like if you still have some things from your past or some guilt and shame you're carrying around with you, this is something that Kristen taught in the prison that like really made a difference that you could do and your, teach your children how to do it. First of all, we, you know, we would get them in there and we would just talk about boundaries and guilt and shame. And, and if, if you're feeling something, you, you've got to confront it. And if, if you can't um, reach the person that you have the, the resentment with, you've got to write a letter and throw it away. Or another thing we really concentrated on there was positive affirmations and that what you speak is what's going to become. And we would do the steps along with it. But another thing with all these girls is they have these huge resentments. And we'd really focus on if you expect people to forgive you and give you grace, you've got to give these other people grace because they're sick too. People, people just don't. And what would usually happen is when these girls would really dig into it is that they played a part in that person they resented. They played a part, and it would just open some things up for them. And we would give them some tools to deal with life when they got out, like to play the tape through. When you're going to do something, you need to play the tape through and see how it ends up. I would do this this guided meditation with them, and it was hard where that would take them back to the, to the very worst time in their life, and I would just have them stay there, and then I would bring them out of it. And I would say, I don't want you to dwell on the past, but I want you to remember how bad this feels right now. So you can you can remember that when when you are about to do whatever and at least just give them some tools. And then it could have gone on with normal life, you know? Totally. Yeah, I just think it's so amazing, like what you're doing. And uh, and look, it's just a conversation that, you know, and I think some people are surprised. Like I, I spoke at an event on Friday in Scottsdale while Kristen was at another event for what she's up to and what the work she's doing. And I think and I, the number of people that came up to me and were just like, I'm so blown away by how open you're willing to be. And, mm -hmm. and that's really inspiring and awesome because, you know, I talk about like, you know, we've lost two brothers. We've lost a nephew. I talked about, you know, my Kristen and her struggles and challenges and then how great she's doing now. And, and there's never a, a stage that I speak on now anywhere in the world where people don't come up to me where they've been directly impacted by addiction and suicide or just one degree removed. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's everywhere. And well, so, like, there's courage in talking about it, not from a place of, like, oh, everyone's doing it, but from a place of, like, hope and let's let's speak possibility into people and let's help people. Yeah, there's a huge stigma around it. And um, so people don't really want to talk about it and share their stories. That was a huge thing for me, though, is after I told the judge I was going to do all that, um, the first time I ran back into the judge, I, I had just been out two weeks and I was sitting at this substance abuse coalition meeting and I was still really nervous and I was like, I'm going to go talk to him after the meeting. And, and I this is just like a couple months ago. I've right? only been out exactly yeah. three months. I walked up to him and I said, I know you don't recognize me. And he said, you look so much better. He said, and I'm so proud of you. And I handed him something that I was working on. 
and he was like, stay with it, whatever, you know. Now I sit on, I sit on a substance abuse coalition with him, with two cops who have literally arrested me, with a probation officer, with a parole officer. I've never been in a room with those kind of people unless I've been in handcuffs. And, and they value my opinion because they need someone that's actually been there to help combat it. It's just people don't know what to do right now. People don't know how to deal with this, especially parents. I have parents reach out to me that are like, can you explain this to me, why you guys are like this? Can you tell me why? A lady told me the other day, why don't they just stop? And it's just not that easy. It's, it's drugs and alcohol usually comes from a deeper thing. But, but drugs like alcohol and opioids, you have a physical reaction to them. So you become physically addicted. So even years later, you have that euphoric recall, even though it ruins your life. You have that euphoric recall and you're like, man, I want to feel like that again. Because life is hard, you know? Mm. So. What would you say, Kristen, to, because I know a lot of people, I've talked to people in their 20s who feel this way and Mm. definitely in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s who are like, oh, I should be further along. Or they they focus on all the years wasted when it's like, no, you still got like, got a lot of life to live. Like you're exactly where you're you're supposed to be. Because there's no, there's no point in thinking you're you're somewhere you're not supposed to be because you are where you're at. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, one of the things that's really inspiring for me with you, how old are you? 50. 50. Mm-hmm. And where do you feel like, I, I kind of feel like you're like, oh, I'm, I'm stoked about my life. Like I got a new yeah, lease on just life. Believe it, just beginning. Yeah. Like you say, like I can rewrite my story at any time. And the girls, the girls that she used to, that's a big thing. You know, you're sitting in prison and you have nothing else to think about. So they're either wallowing in their guilt or they're worrying about their, their future. And I used to tell them all the time, you can't stumble over the past. You can't trip over the future because you just got to stay where you are. It's got to be such a day by day thing. And now I have these visions and these goals. That's one thing, though, is I had two really short-term goals. I'm not trying to make these crazy goals. And, and I just wanted to make sure one was a newsletter and another one was to write my book and, and to work on it. And, and you have to work and set these short-term goals. But it just feels so good to be able to accomplish any, these things. And I literally am blown away that I've been out of prison three months and that, that I've been able to do the things I wanted to do. And that's why I think it's so powerful for me to share my message. And that's why I did an interview with my three friends, because we've all been out about the same amount of time. We were all drug addicts. My friend Rhonda did 16 years. She's she's a counselor at a place that helps homeless people now. But I got her. She got into recovery with me. And you really got to confront your past. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, my sister, Kristen, she actually has one other short term goal, and that's to learn how to scan a QR code. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Horrible. I finally, I kind of figured it out last night. But before I went to prison, I had done three months in rehab. And then before that, I'd almost done 18 months in county jail, like off and on, off and on. Just right. I have so many mug shots in 2017. It's wild. Like, because I go from this jail and they take me here. Anyways, uh, right when I get out, I just have all kinds of places that are state ran, like the DMV, and there's nobody in there. And then I go to Social Security and it's all automated. And he goes, ma'am, you need to go scan that QR code. And then answer these questions. I go, what's a QR code and how do I do it? And the guy was nice. And then he said, just wait for the person to call you. I can see no person. And they're the person calling me and it's a screen. And I was just like, I need to come back. And I just, <laughs> the world has changed a lot since COVID. Yeah, that's another thing I think too is like, yeah, you know, that really struck me that day too, going back to what you said when you were released. And it was just so sad mm-hmm. to see of the six women released, one had a ride that she kind of knew for these women. And I was, like, I was just like, man, the likelihood of them ending up right back in here is probably so high. Like the only thing I, I really believe the only hope our world has 
and all the research points to this is strong families. And and look, right. and that still doesn't guarantee success. But if you grow up in a strong family, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some things that define that. Children from homes that have both parents that have a healthy relationship, they do better in every statistical category mm-hmm. research, not even close. And it doesn't mean it's a recipe for perfection or success. And there's clues there. And it's just like, yeah, that's why we feel so called to talk about this topic of family. Yeah. And, and I have people tell me all the time and people want to get on my little Facebook and say, well, addiction isn't a choice. I know so many addicts that have had the most horrible choice, the most horrible childhoods where their mom started doing drugs with them or just where it really wasn't a choice. It was kind of forced upon them. And, and addiction is something that once you're in it, nobody wants to be addicted. Like it's not a good time. It's not fun. Like I wasn't partying out at the bars. I was usually on somebody's couch and just saving up a dollar to get some alcohol. And, and it's not fun. It's it's a horrible situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, what comes to mind is the quote that my mentor Steve has shared with me is like, people need our, people need our love way more mm-hmm. than they need our judgment and, uh, and our forgiveness way more than they need our, uh, our criticism. Well, thanks for coming on. That uh, was awesome. I love my sister, Kristen. She's an inspiration <laughs> to me and to so many people. And yeah, we love, we love this conversation around family and we're not afraid to have it. Like, right. like, like, look like this, we can either pretend like this doesn't exist and bury our heads in the sand, or we can like take a stand for our families right? and like take our families back. Like, cause the families are under attack and the world really wants to get to your family. The Absolutely. world really wants to get to your kids mm-hmm. and the world wants to tell your kids who they are and right. wants to tell your family what you, what you stand for. And it's like, no, you don't, we decide who we are. We get to t- help our children, you know, realize what, what they stand for. And, and look, you're either, you're either intentionally growing together as a family or you're accidentally drifting apart. You're either intentionally taking a stand for your family or you're kind of letting the world do it for you. But it's never too late to breathe hope and possibility into someone. You don't have to be defined by your past. And the thing that we all need from each other more than anything is just like love and support and like That's and right. showing up. Grace. Kristen, where could people find if they wanted to, you know, receive your newsletter or wanted to connect with you, where would they find you? Um, I'm working on a website, but I don't have it yet. But you could find me on my Facebook is the light dot we do recover. So it's like Facebook.com, the light dot we do recover. Okay. Okay. I'll link it in the show notes. And then do you usually post your newsletter there? Also, um, well, I have people just, uh, I almost said DM me. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Direct message, private <laughs> message. I don't, I don't really know. Message me and I put them on a, either on a mailing list or I put them on a email list. Okay. Yeah. And her, awesome. her newsletters are amazing. Like, so yeah, if you have, I think yeah, everyone should read the newsletter, especially if you have someone who is in recovery or is struggling and wants some, you know, light and hope in their lives. The, the newsletter is amazing. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you, Kristen. Do you have any final thoughts? I I just really would say to parents, educate yourself. I know I keep talking about this, about fentanyl, so you can talk to your kids because it's a really hard drug to get people off of. I always want to put a success story in my newsletter about fentanyl, and there's just not that many people die before they go to prison. And you really educate yourself on it and talk to your kids about it. Because if you drill it into their heads when they're little enough, and and you got to be kind of bold about it, and you got to be kind of open about it because it's a serious epidemic. Awesome. 
Thank you, Kristen. And thank you. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Family Brand Podcast people, we love you. Talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Family Brand Podcast. To say thank you, we have something really awesome we'd love to share with you. You know, we often hear from families who will tell us that they just feel so overwhelmed because of the demands that are placed on them. They feel like they're constantly being pulled in so many different directions and spread thin and they're spending time as a family, but they don't feel like it's quality time. They're not really connected and they want to be more intentional. And we can certainly relate because we felt like that at one point in in our family. And so we created a guide that allowed us to really be more confident around how we spend time as a family and what we say yes to and what we say no to. And it's just brought so much more peace into our home. It's made our lives so much more simple and we want to share it with you. So if you go to familybrand.com, forward slash free, you can download the how to take back your family's time guide. And I can promise you it'll give you more confidence and more peace in your life than your family. One last thing, we feel so inspired when we hear from families that we are making a difference for them. We would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and a review on the podcast so we can reach even more amazing families. We truly believe that the way we change the world is one family at a time.